Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Faith. Our paranormal experiences actually spiritual experiences? What does your religion actually say about ghosts? Well, hello there, and welcome to the 234th broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. But everybody else knows the drill, so before we welcome our guest, let's do our weekly paranormal contest. So last week's question was, when and where was the only officially reported Bigfoot sighting in Providence County, Rhode Island? Kelly Perez of Millbury, Massachusetts was the first to get the correct answer to that one. The only officially recorded Bigfoot sighting in Providence County, Rhode Island, was in October 1998 in the Black Hut Management Area in Burlville, Rhode Island. A lone biker reported a six-foot gray ape-like figure at the end of Spring Lake Road. Now, both you and your brother grew <laughs> up sw- swimming in the lake there at Spring Lake. I remember Spring We never Lake. saw any big feet, though. Uh, anyway, the official report was to the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, the BFRO. So I consider that official. Okay, well, we saw a, little, a lot of little feet. If that's... <laughs> yeah, a lot of ducks. And yeah, things, yeah, that was a terrible joke. But anyway, uh, this week's question is a bit of a lighthearted question. So in what 1981 movie are the ghost hunters ghosts themselves? So if we could be any more vague, and if you get that right, get the uh, get a uh, get it right and win a copy of Holy Ghosts or how a not-so-good Catholic boy became a believer in things that go bump in the night by tonight's guest. So call us locally at 401-766-1240 or nationally at 800-449-1240. If nobody gets an answer before the end of the show and you still think you have a shot, drop a line to me at benatbehindtheparanormal.com. Gary Jansen has worked in publishing in the New York City area for more than 15 years and served as editor-in-chief of the Quality Paperback Book Club. I subscribed to that for many years. He is currently an editor at the Crown Publishing Group, specializing in books on religion and spirituality. His first book, The Rosary, A Journey to the Beloved, I love that title, was praised by Paul Coelho, the best-selling author of The Alchemist, as a wonderful book, not just wonderful but very important, unquote. Publishers Weekly's review of Jansen's second book, Exercising Your Soul, 15 Minutes a Day to a Spiritual Life, called him an author who, quote, amuses and inspires, unquote. (laughs) Tonight we're talking about Gary's latest title, Holy Ghosts, or How a Not-So-Good Catholic Boy Became a Believer in Things That Go Bump in the Night. It's a really long title, but Gary Jansen, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hey, thank you, Ben. Hi, Hi, Ben. Hi, Paul. Uh, nice to see you, Gary. Well, or at least well, hear you, anyway. Uh, it's nice to look at your voice. Yes. <laughs> okay. Before Ben starts with the questions, Gary, I'm going to just make a few points. All right, and then we'll, we'll get to those later on. This book affected me deeply because, in the beginning at least, you're telling my story. And I think I'm speaking for a lot of our listeners when I say that because a lot of people go through what you went through as a boy and growing up and questioning all these things that happened to you. So in a way, your story was my story. Uh, now, I think, as I say, it'll res- resonate with many of our listeners. Uh, now, as a professional journalist, as an editor for the past 30 years myself, I love good writing, and this is a very well-written book. That's an increasing rarity today. Um, 
but it's the story of every man. You know, in the medieval times, they had the every man plays. You know, it's uh, something anybody that can happen to anyone, and the, the questions you ask might be asked by anyone. Your paranormal questions, you know, studying the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church on the subject, such as it is. Um, the difference with with you and me, though, is that I was actually studying for the priesthood at the time when I was going through what you were going through. Um, I was working later on with priestly scholars and exorcists, and I took it much farther in the position that I was in than you were able to, and I spent the next 40 years on it, eventually reaching the conclusion, um, unlike yourself, however, here's where the, um, the difference comes in, that the entire paranormal belief structure, whether from the church, the psychics, the spiritualists, is all wrong. Not false, but wrong. So I'll leave it there for now. We'll, we'll, we'll just we'll get on with it. Ben? Okay, so... So let's get this started. So from the, let's get this start from the beginning, Gary. So tell us about your story. Yeah, just say, without giving away everything in the book, if you could just tell us tell us the story of what uh, what happened and what's in the book. Sure. The um, um, yeah for uh, it I, well it the in back in March of two thousand <clears throat> back in March of two thousand and eight, I went into a uh, I went into my son's room. And, uh, guys, there's like a lot of feedback or something, or I'm hearing my echo. Is there a way you could fix that? Uh, well, Mr. Producer, how are we doing? We will try to come up with a solution. We'll try to come up with a solution. Okay. Okay. And the, we're not uh, getting it here, so. All right. The, um, so essentially, um, back in March 2008, <clears throat> I went upstairs to my son's room to just get him a pair of socks, and it was a cold March night, and, um, you know, his, his, his room was dark, there was a nightlight on, um, and it was just something that I did many times. But this one particular night, I walk into my son's room and I feel something I've never felt the intensity of before. And uh, I thought there was someone standing in my son's room. And since my wife was downstairs and my son was down there with him, my son was three years old at the time, I knew that there was no one else in the house uh, except for myself. But I felt something. And so I, I quickly turned around, almost positive that there was going to be somebody there. It felt so strong. And then saw nothing. And uh, the room was dark again. And I thought, well, my mind's just playing tricks on me. Went to go get the socks. And as I turned to leave the room, I feel something unlike I had ever felt before. Uh, and the only way I can describe it, it as if there was someone wearing an electric glove that was rubbing the length of my back. All of a sudden, my whole back just went electric. And and I, and I was paralyzed for like 10 seconds, maybe 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Not paralyzed physically, but just emotionally, psychologically. It's like, what the heck was that? And then it disappeared. And kind of being a member of the you know ADHD generation, by the time I reached downstairs, I'd forgotten about it. And probably would have written it off and not thought about it again, um, except that it happened the next day and the next day and the next day, but only in my son's room. And I started noticing patterns over time, and then more odd things began happening into the house, the classic haunting stuff. And so I grew up, the way I grew up, I was, you know, my mom was someone who believed in ghosts. My dad was a rationalist who didn't believe in ghosts. And so I was kind of drawn, I was kind of split in two different worlds. So my mom was a religious person. My dad wasn't. Uh, my dad was very practical. My mom was this dreamer. And so I had both of those parts in me. But I think I sided more with my dad just being a rationalist. If I couldn't see it, I didn't really believe it. Even though I was really drawn to religion. Um, and over time, 
you know, I went, you know, I went to Catholic school for so many years, and I was drawn back to my faith, but really drawn back to my faith as a Catholic intellectually because I really like to read theology, I like to read about it, but you know, spiritually speaking, you know, I was very well. I was, you know, it was very. I was really a novice even before a novice. I was very uh, babyish sometimes, I guess, in uh, in my spirituality. But intellectually, I loved intellectual religious argument. You know, I loved a lot of theology, and that's what really drew me back to the Catholic Church. So all of these things started to kind of mix, and then over the course of a single year, kind of just the way I was brought up, my mom believing in ghosts, you know, my dad not, I was split because these weird, odd things started happening in the house, and so I'm split between belief and disbelief. And so that's really kind of just the summation of the story. So this is, uh, the, this is the same house you grew up in, though, right? Yes. So yeah, okay. the house I grew up in, and... Um, the uh, what happened was when we were about six. When I was about six, um, my parents bought this house, and it always had kind of a creepy feeling in it. And so a lot of things happened when we were growing up. Again, classic haunting things, you know, tappings and rappings, and things that probably could have been, at least the way my dad thought. My dad thought, well, now that's the mouse or the rat or you know, the house settling. Even though the house was seventy years old at the time, you know, you would think the house would have settled already. But there were a lot of noises and a lot of things that happened and a lot of odd-sounding footsteps and whispers that were coming from nowhere. But my mom always believed it was a ghost. My dad always wrote it off as, you know, nothing. Mm-hmm. And then when I was about, you know, in my 30s, um, as luck would have it, I ended up buying the house from my mom who wanted to move away. So my wife and I were married for a few years and we decided, you know what, let's buy my mom's house and move back to where my I guess my ancestral home, and um, begin raising a family. Okay. And was it your son, uh, was it Eddie? Yes. Um, who uh, began yes. to have similar experiences? In his exactly. room, as you say, yeah. Right. So Eddie, so around, um, so right around that time, so everything began in March for me, and then, um, you know, a few months later, you know, my son uh, refused to go into his room, and and it seemed that all this stuff was just happening. Like, I would have these sensations where I'd walk into my son's room. And if I was there by myself, I would feel something. Um, if I was there with my wife, I wouldn't. If I was there with my son, I wouldn't. And, you know, if it was the three of us together, I wouldn't feel anything. It was only when I was dropping something off in his room, clothes or picking up a book, that's when I felt it. And it happened all the time. Um, and then after a few months, and again, all this while this is all going on, it just it was odd, but I didn't think it was really anything paranormal or supernatural. But then after a few months, my son refused to go in his room. He just did not want any part of it. And when he experienced, or when he said he just refused to go into that room, you know, I talked to my wife. And, you know, while this was going on, my wife had just miscarried, so we weren't, I wasn't going to bring up these odd things that were happening to me. I thought maybe it was just stress or whatever. And eventually I just talked to her about it, and she said she was experiencing things as well. So strange shadows, she was seeing things move that weren't there. And, uh, yeah, so all of this kind of came together. And at that point I thought, well, maybe there's something really, you know, something beyond this world going on, um, which kind of, you know, shook me up a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but being a book person and being someone who does a lot of research, I wanted to start researching. Well, what did the Catholic Church have to say about this? And, you know, what did religion have to say about it? Because to be honest with you, I didn't know. Um, you know, going, having gone to Catholic school for 12 years, they never, ever once talked about ghosts. They hardly ever talked about angels. They hardly ever talked about the spirit. 
You know, they would talk about ideas. They would talk about, you know, right action and what you should do. Mm-hmm. But they never really talked about spiritual matters. Um, and that was uh, of this that kind, a lot yeah. of us yeah. just have to explore on our own. So. Okay. All right. Uh, well, now Ben's got the next question. Yes. So in the book, according uh, according to the psychic you consulted and your own belief, the two ghosts in this house on Long Island were not evil. Well, Long Island's had a pretty crazy history as of late. So why do you think that you were so afraid of them as a ch- as like a child, and why your own son after you? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I think, um, you know, I I think for me, I was afraid of like most people, just of the unknown. You have these things that are happening to you that, you know, for you know, I always thought were really, you know, objects of fairy tales or, or just you know stories that you would hear, you know, on TV or on movies or in books. Not that it was you know, of this world. So I think for me, it was something that just was so odd. Um, and, and, and in retrospect, you know, I think I let my imagination, uh, you know, kind of like take me in, 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 in certain like dark arenas for a little while because then I was thinking, well, if there's something in the house, it's, it's, it's dark, it's evil. So I think that in that part, my imagination kind of probably freaked me out a little bit more. So we had these incidents that were happening, but then whether it be things I just heard about growing up or even things from my own theology, you know, I think I started to color those experiences. Yeah, that's an ever-present danger with the imagination. Exactly. And, you know, and I think for my son, too, I think it was something that, you know, even though there was one ghost in there that was evil, he was, as, Mar- as Marianne is a psychic uh, said, was a, uh, was a troublemaker or was someone who liked to cause trouble. And, you know, and there's something that I bring up because of the whole idea of curses one of the ghosts may have been in there for a long time. Another one was only in there starting in March and arrived in March, right around the time I started feeling everything, and right around the time my wife had a miscarriage. Yeah, that's um, the famous uh, March 7th uh, date that you mentioned? Right, yeah, right. Okay. So the March 7th date. Um, so this man, we, after doing some investigating, I found out that this, this, this male spirit that was in the house died on the same day my wife miscarried. So, for, so that opened up a whole, was that just a coincidence? Or is there something else going on that 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 has something to do with souls? How does soul communicate? I mean, does one soul try to help another soul into the next life? Can what is the power of words? Without giving the story away, was there something that I did that actually had the spirit attached to me for some reason? Yeah. And common, and, all common questions. Right, and you know, and it, and this really brought up the whole power of, of words and. Which is kind of so, which I, I just didn't get it at the time, but it, in retrospect, you know, I mean, even in the Bible it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and, you know, so you have this power of Word and Word kind of creating things. Can we create our own reality by the words that we use? And can we influence the reality of others? Can we say things and actually have spirit attachments of us? Can we cause curses without even knowing? So, all of a sudden, these really big kind of metaphysical questions popping up and, and resonating uh, while all this is going on. Yeah, again, uh, go ahead, Ben. Okay. So did any of this make you question your Catholic faith at any point? I don't it, it, it made me, uh, the question, the biggest question was, what does the Catholic faith have to say about it? And then I learned that it, says it has very little to say. Especially, I mean, in the catechism of the Catholic Church, there isn't a word about ghosts. 
I mean, they do talk about spirits and angels, you know, and exorcism, evil, but nothing about ghosts. So what was a ghost? I mean, the Catholic Church didn't believe in ghosts. So it took a lot of looking at secondary sources and, and some church theologians. And even there, there wasn't a lot of information. No, there, there the isn't. Yeah. Now, you know, there's Herbert Thurston who wrote a book called, you know, Ghosts and Poltergeist. That was the first book I read at the age of 17. Right. <laughs> yep. And that was the book that, you know, that really said the most about them. Yeah, uh, and that was a really Jesuit priest from England. Right, yeah. and those are mostly case studies, too. Um, yeah, then th- th- he wasn't there. Right, exactly. Yeah. He was just recording these. Yeah. Uh, there was another book that came out in the 50s by another Jesuit called The Cult Phenomena, which investigated, you know, which talked about ghosts, but um, really looked at the whole idea of, of, of spirits and the occult and, you know, mm-hmm. clairvoyance and telepathy and all those things. Okay. And then eventually... You don't hear anything until, you know, the one thing that I found in John Hardin's, you know, modern dictionary of the Catholic Church was the definition for ghosts, that, that the ghosts, that ghosts do exist in Catholic theology or, or Catholic belief. They're just not talked about. So why aren't they talked about? That, so that, again, brought up more questions. You know, I have my, my whole story on, on that, but right. you're, you're and, being interviewed, so. Yes, so. <laughs> From all this research that you've done, what surprised you most about what you found? Well, you know, the thing is, in some ways, I've become a paranormal convert. And you always have to watch out for converts because they get really evangelical uh, <laughs> on, <Yeah. laughs> about stuff. The, uh, but how, um, you know, how deep the history is and how deep the investigating is. You know, it, you know Paul, I was reading you know, your book over the weekend, um, and you said that it you're never going to be able to come up with evidence that's good enough for the skeptic. No matter what, you know. Mm -hmm. You just can't. But when you start looking back at the history of all, you know, the history of supernatural occurrences, you know, the history of paranormal experiences, those first-hand accounts, you know, they they go back for thousands of years. and, And they come from, many come from very credible sources. And so you have all this first-hand information there uh, of people having experiences. And that's what fascinated me the most. And that's for me. Yeah, yeah me too when I was in the same position, yeah. Yeah, and just kind of set me off. And, you know, yeah, sure, some of these people could have misinterpreted, but, you know, when you start looking at the wealth of history and the wealth of experience that has gone on and um, the parallels between cultures and, and, you know, and even looking at the same and, and that was another question that came up, which is, you know, if someone has clairvoyance or sees an apparition, unless they're a saint, most of the time people see it as a demonic thing. Um, yeah, th- that's a whole other question we're going to get into later, yeah. Yeah, and that, and that kind of like drove me crazy, and I think a big part of after having gone through everything, I wanted to write a book that, that, that kind of addressed that, and even though I don't address that directly in the book, that's the reason why I wanted to write the book. I mean, a lot of people had had experiences who were people of faith, or people who weren't, weren't even people of faith, no, that's true. they had all these, you know, questions, and they felt ostracized, or they felt, you know, like they were freaks, and, and, and it just didn't, and that kind of, you know, that paradox, that if, if a common person has, you know, an experience like this, well, obviously, you know, we should be skeptical, because, you know, skepticism is healthy if it's done in a healthy way. Um, you don't want to take everyone you know, word for everything. Mm-hmm. So it's good to be, good to have a healthy skepticism. But, Very true. But, okay, yeah. Uh, so many times skepticism just turns into cynicism. 
Yeah, that's well put. Yes, or skepticemia, as I call it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Go ahead, Ben. Okay, so what did your friends and family think of all this? Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> you know, when I finally came out and told my mom about everything, she was like, well, it's about time. I told you that like 30 years ago. Um, so, you know, my mom felt, you know, I, you know, and partially I think it was another reason for writing the book was to vindicate my mom who for years had said all these things. Um, you know, and my sisters were, it, I think it brought up a lot of memories because I have four sisters and uh, each of them had different experiences growing up, which I didn't include in the book really just for, because I wanted to just be my story, but brought up a lot of, you know, their past memories and things that they had experienced. And I think friends overall, you know, I, I work with a number of, you know, really great, like, Catholic authors. And I think they were very, you know, I think they were a bit, they, they were kind. <laughs> it, it, it's the best way I could say it. Mm-hmm. They were, they, they didn't, they didn't come out and support me, but they did, they did condemn me. Either. So, um, so, you know, overall, the, you know, the, the response has been varied. Mostly good. Sure. Uh, okay. But, uh, right, go ahead, Ben. Okay. So we find in our work, we found that almost always, almost all paranormal phenomena always affects a wide geographic area. Did you ever find out if your neighbors were having similar problems to you? Um, no. You know, we actually live. It's, the way that we live, we actually don't have many neighbors. We have, um, you know, one woman who lives next door to us, and. Uh, not very close to her, so I'm not exactly sure exactly what experience she had. Um, you know, but there are other things, you know, just kind of researching um, the history of Long Island, to do the, to do the book, to just see how prevalent, you know, paranormal experience has been on, you know, island. And, and I wonder if, you know, this is the question really for you guys, if, if for some reason the island, for whatever, for whatever reason, seem to have more... Um, to have more activity than other places. I, I don't really know, but it was just I was overwhelmed actually by the amount of paranormal, you know, history that I found yeah. in the area. Not for my exact town that seemed to come up kind of non-existent, um, but uh, but just other areas, like literally, like you know, the next town over. Okay. Over. All right, we're going to take a um, short commercial okay. break here, and we'll be right back with our guest Gary Jansen, and we'll continue to talk about holy ghosts, and um, we'll start. I'm going to ask some questions of my own. Be right back. Stay with us. Join the Rhode Island Wind Ensemble as it celebrates five years of performing at the St. Anne Arts and Cultural Center on May 1st at 2 p.m. That's Entertainment is the theme of this year's concert with music from Broadway, film, and television, including such hits as The Phantom of the Opera, Five by the Beatles, the theme from Superman, and Silverado the Movie, The Washington Post March by John Philip Sousa, and many more. Come and celebrate five years of performances of the Rhode Island Wind Ensemble at the St. Anne Arts and Cultural Center, May 1st at 2 o'clock. For tickets and information, call 401-356-0713 or visit St. Anne artsctr.org. This concert is made possible through the generosity of Miss Lorena Myers. You can depend on us for public service. Owen Radio. Okay, we're back behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and ONWorldwide.com here in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Our guest is Gary Jansen, author of the really, really good book, Holy Ghosts. And, Gary, uh, I'm going to start now 
asking some, giving you some of my own impressions and some of my my own uh, questions because, as I say, our backgrounds uh, from that point of view uh, started out in a very similar way. Now, you eventually turned to your faith for explanations for the paranormal things you were experiencing, and you've told us uh, about that. Um, and what you say in the book is right. Roman Catholics, uh, the teaching is is very unclear on this. And as you say at one point in the book, it often depends on whom you're speaking to. Uh, the saints also had a lot of weird experiences, as you say in the book, and the actual Catholic belief as, uh, really does depend on who you're talking to. Uh, you read a lot of books. Uh, at any point, did you actually seek the advice of a priest? The, um, you know, I did, but not until <clears throat> after the experience. The, um, so the book itself takes place over a year's time, and it's sort of told in real time. So I try not to, you know, obviously it's impossible when you're writing a book like that to put in what I experienced afterwards mm-hmm. while it was going on. I really wanted to try and tell the story as it was unfolding for me. Yeah. Um, so I did it, but afterwards. And I think I was nervous, you know, while it was all going on, only because I knew, I do know a lot of priests, but all of them, and, and, and some I knew very well, and I think all of them would have looked at me like I had two heads. Well, you're absolutely right, because yeah. having spent 10 years in, the sem- in seminaries and having graduated from two of them, I have to tell you that you're right. They don't teach this no, and, in the seminary. And, right. And I was, you know, and to be honest with you, I was really nervous that they were going to think I was, I was crazy or that I was, you know, that, and, and I was actually nervous that they wouldn't take me seriously about <clears throat> about things. And I liked to just have, like, theological discourse with them about mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so a lot of people, you know, written into me and they're like, well, why don't you call a priest after we didn't have a priest come in? And the thing is, I had had the house left and, and Marianne, who was, uh, the ghost whisperer who kind of, you know, who kind of led me through all of, uh, you know, trying to get rid of the ghost. The, uh, you know, she had said, well, you know, priests can come in and they can bless the house. That doesn't necessarily mean they get rid of the ghosts that are in there. They can do a blessing, but a lot of times you can bless the ghost that's still in there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I had a priest come in there and, you know, kind of do a blessing. Just a basic house blessing. He didn't do that rite of exorcism that I guess you can, that minor rite of exorcism that you can do when you come in. He just did a, you know, a simple blessing, but that was way before anything. So for me, there was a lot of trepidation about actually reaching out to the church just for fear of, you know. I also want to want to give our I always forget this part. Uh, give our call in numbers today because we we do allow call ins uh, locally four zero one seven six six twelve forty one two four zero or nationally eight hundred four four nine one two four zero. Feel free uh, to call in today to talk to us or Gary about this interesting subject. Now I, I have to tell you, Gary, personally, I'm astounded at the intellectual jump you made from what... I'll, I'll give you a chance to talk about how you found uh, uh, the ghost whisperer here whom you used, but I'm kind of uh, amazed at the jump you made from what you read about in church teaching, as I say, such as it is, to the decision to call a psychic. Uh, you say in the book that the church forbids the conjuring of spirits. Now, correct me if I'm not understanding you correctly. The church forbids the conjuring of spirits. Then you figure that by calling in the psychic, you aren't actually conjuring spirits you're just communicating with ones that are there already. Right. Uh, now, any priest would have told you that this was a really reckless rationalization. Now, what say you? Oh, you know, I guess they would probably be right. The, um, you know, I wanted to tell the story the way it happened. And sometimes you do things without necessarily, you know, knowing why you're doing things. <clears throat> and so for me, when I made that decision, even looking back, I'm like, well, wow, why did I make that leap? And, uh... 
and I'm sure I could probably go to therapy and figure it out. But there was this point where I felt like, you know what, intellectually I've gone as far as I can, so why don't I try something like this? And plus there was this whole thing going on in my mind about the idea of discernment of spirit. So it was a bit reckless, but it was also, for me, it was intellectually and theologically challenging because there is a, a gift of the Holy Spirit called discernment of spirit. And well, there is, yeah. You can look at that as, well, uh, the gift is to know right from wrong. <clears throat> to know the difference between, you know, the idea of good versus evil. Uh, when you're being led astray and when you're not. But it could also mean someone who actually is a good spirit from a bad spirit. So couldn't it be possible that a lot of, you know, that, in, that, that someone like Marianne, who was able to talk to spirit, might have the gift of, there was also kind of like, for me, theologically, I was looking into that and kind of questioning that as well. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, in, in one way, it, it, it pointed out to me that it was really sort of an indictment, not only of the Roman Church, but of several others who, who don't provide a place to go for people when this happens. And that they really feel at times they have no choice but to turn to psychics, mediums, ghosts, whatever you want to call them. And uh, that bothers me. I mean, the, the trouble with what happened to me was that I was working in the wake of the Exorcist movie released right. in 73. And that's when I was in the seminary. And uh, they, they didn't want to talk about any of this. I got in all kinds of hot water. By 77, um, I was given the axe two years before ordination because I was involved in, par- not the paranormal as such, but in paranormal research. They didn't want anything to do with it. And that was... Um, I think a big mistake if they just come clean and said, this is what it is, here's what we believe about it, you know, uh, this is what you can do, you know, just be honest and simple and clear. They would, instead of clamming up like they always do, I think it would have been better. But anyway, that's my story, not yours. Anyway, um, okay, how did you come upon Anne, the ghost whisperer? Why don't you tell us how, how you contacted her and what happened with that? Yeah, sure, the... Uh so I work in publishing, and I've worked in publishing for a long time. So I was having lunch with an acquaintance and kind of told her about what was going on. And, you know, she said, oh, we should reach out to this woman, Marianne Wachowski, um, who was the inspiration for the TV show that goes with her. Yeah, she's well known. And so Marianne was out, she's out in Cleveland, and I'm in New York. <clears throat> and when my friend told me about this, I was like, no, there's no way. I'm not going to do that. And, and it really took me about six months before, you know, I made the call, and, and during that period, you know, that's when I was doing a lot of research, and that's when I was thinking. I was writing a book about St. Ignatius, St. Ignatius, you know, talked all the time about this. Oh, he had all kinds of experiences. Right. So he had all these crazy experiences, and he really talked a lot about the idea of the of, of spirit. So I read her book and all that, and eventually there was a bit of a leap of faith to call her and say, hey, you know what? Things are kind of exacerbating in the house. My wife had just had a baby. After having miscarried, we had gotten pregnant again, and she had a baby. And I wanted to make sure that the house was safe, to be honest with you, because things were still happening. It was still giving me the creeps, it was giving my son the creeps, it was giving my wife the creeps. And so I made that call, and what was fascinating was how accurate, because, and, and part of me, I did it as a lark, part of me did that, you know, I wanted to, you know, investigate this idea of disturbing spirits, and the other part of me was just plain curious about, you know, whether or not she picked up on anything. And she was amazingly accurate just about the layout of the house, my past history. Um, I mean, she didn't know anything about me. And 
there was nothing up on the internet at that time where you could have learned anything about me. And so she starts telling me all these things about stuff that's going on in the house. And when she brought up that there were two spirits in the house, one that that had a very, or that mirrored what my, my, my mother had told me when I was you know, six or seven or eight growing up, and she said there was a very particular spirit in the house, Marianne told me about that same particular spirit. And then she told me that there's another one in the house. He's a bit of a troublemaker, but he was only he's only been in the house for a year. And I had made that call almost a year to the date from that first incident. So she was able to pick up that something had been the house and only been there for a year. And then, you know, a big part of, you know, that next month and a big part of the book investigating who those people were. You know, why were they in the house? Okay. Real quick question, Steve. This kind of goes away from... Gary. Gary, sorry. Sorry, it's Monday. It's it's Monday. Okay, so Gary, real quick question. This kind of goes away from the phenomenon a little bit and just goes to a little bit of your personal beliefs. What is your definition of a spirit? Great question. The, um... Yeah, I mean, the spirit really for me is, you know, I believe that there's the non-material part of us, you know, that... And then maybe it's not the non-material because the more and more I'm thinking about this, and you know, Paul, I think I might have read this in your book over the weekend. It's something I've been toying with for I don't know. Yeah, okay, well, uh, which book of mine did you read? Oh, it's the um, the one with God in the title, the one that came out in 2000. Oh, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And um, the uh, but about uh, that maybe you know the human soul is type of plasma or something. So for me, you know, the spirit is you're not the non-material part of us. Um, you know, maybe it's called the soul, you call the soul, and, and for me it's about, the spirit really is about almost pure experience, you know, we can have a physical experience, an emotional experience, a psychological experience, but the soul seems to be something that, that brings all of those together, and seems to be non-material, so that's what the definition of, you know. All right, well this is where we part companies, do you have anything else? You can keep going with your, okay. whatever you're going to um, well, well, as if, as you know, if you've read anything I've written, Gary, um, uh, in in my opinion, there isn't, or our opinion, I should say, there isn't a single event in your book that can't be explained in terms of the multiverse. This concept, our, all our listeners are familiar with, uh, that's the basis of all our paranormal and spiritual work, as you know. And in the course of your your entire experience, did you ever question the almost universal assumption? that this is all about some kind of spirit world and people not crossing over and all this business. See, our problem is, without your body, are you still you? We say no. Right. That's not possible. So uh, did you ever question all these spiritualist assumptions that just everybody just assumes are true? Yeah, no, I, I think I did, and I'm continuing, you know, and just then all this happened in the book itself. It, I think all of us, and I think a big part of anybody who does research in any kind of it's the question the norm. It's the question, you know, not to do it in a in a disrespectful way, but in the most respectful way that you possibly can. It's the question, you know, certain ways of thinking. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about interdimensional beings that, you know, goes with dimensional. And, uh, you, know, um, you know, and there's a lot of other things. Like you were just saying that, you know, or can you be the same person without your body? And, 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 you, and, and you probably can't. You know, but there's so many, there's so many different theories there, um, and that's what, for me, this is such a brand new world. You know, I've been kind of in this world for about three years right now, and mm-hmm. um, 
and, and every day I, I realize that I know less and less and less. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And, um, well, that's that's a true measure of intelligence. And it just, you know, for me, the whole idea of, you know, so there's a lot of talk about interdimensional and multidimensional beings. Yeah. And I think, but I think religion has been talking about that from from the get-go. Yeah, I think so, is, too, in a way, yeah, You certainly. know, there is an earth, and there is a heaven, and, you know, Catholics believe, you know, in a purgatory, and a lot of people don't believe in a purgatory, but, you know, Buddhists have similar beliefs, Hindus, and, and, and the, and, and, the Vedic traditions, you know, have all these different realms of possibilities. And what are realms, really, but different dimensions? So the idea of, you know, interdimensional, multidimensional is Well, the, I don't want to leave the issue of the psychic either, or the medium up. Now, there are two opinions on that in, in uh, this room, perhaps. One is that you don't know where these people are getting their information, and many would say that they're possibly receiving it from entities who are not nice. Okay. Right. I might say... See, I'm not impressed by, by the accuracy of, of any of these people. I'm not, I'm not, not to demean them. They, I know many, many psychics and mediums who are the salt of the earth. They really believe they're doing the right thing. And uh, ser- several of them really have a, a real grasp of uh, what I would call the, the same theories we work on, and, and they approach it that way. But I'm not really impressed by accuracy. Anybody can do that. Yeah. Really, and it's just a matter of being in the right frame of mind, and, and you don't even, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a human thing to do. It's a survival instinct that we developed as, as you know, and that's my opinion. So th- that in itself didn't doesn't really impress me. With all due respect to Anne, whom I do not know and who's never been on the show, but the idea, you know, the the son seen running into the washroom in that one incident, you know, when he was really uh, in in the other room with the team, that's classic multi. That, that's happened. I, they used to have, you used to do that. Yeah. Or, or whatever. <laughs> so I mean, these are all very familiar. The glass shattering in the middle of the room at one point—you couldn't see it. Um, see, I read your book very carefully, um, and uh, I, I do love it. But these are all questions that just arose in my mind. Um, it just seems that um, one thing that you really do hit on the head that I really loved was you're realizing the spirituality of what, if, in my book, I refer to as the unity. You really seem to. To gr- kind of grasp that as, as an ultimate lesson of all this, and, and uh, I thought that was really great. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was really, you know, this, <clears throat> I think in so many ways, like when coincidence happens, for me, coincidence is a very, or what we call coincidence, because I don't really believe that there's a coincidence. I believe that there's something beyond that that we don't really understand. As you were saying, you know, I think you're saying in your book as well, that all these experiences that we call supernatural, very natural experience. Um, we might not understand them, we might not know, but they are most, you know, they're natural. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of the, but the idea of, you know, everything, and that's what Ignatius, and that's why there's a lot of subtlety in the book. It's about, you know, the idea of, like, Ignatius is in there. And his whole idea is seek God everywhere, you know, and because God is in all things. God is everywhere. So how come we haven't talked more, or, or how come there's, you know, there are great ghost hunting shows on, on TV, but there's a few on there that, you know, that, go into, that go into the spiritual element of it, that maybe these things are spiritual messages that, you know, when we have these experiences or when we pick up on things, what we're really doing is, is the time for us to engage spiritually and to, you know, to, uh, to seek and to search ourselves spiritually and to seek God and, and to seek understanding. So that spiritual element really became, you know, the underlying, 
Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah, Ben's good enough. Yeah, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from on that because they do all this stuff and they run around with their cameras and their EVPs and all these wonderful gadgets, and, but they seem to miss the whole human part of this, which you're talking about, the human and spiritual part of this, and they completely miss the point. So I'm glad that you you can grasp that. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, and obviously these shows are on TV and they're, you know, they, they want to be dramatic and, and they only have, you know, a half hour or 40 minutes to kind of tell their story. So, you know, these are, these are things that, that, you know, it, it's kind of the USA Today mentality. Like, USA Today is a great newspaper, but it's a lot of charts and stuff. You can, like, read something and get, like, an idea in, like, 10, 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you really want to, and that's why they, they don't really talk about spiritual issues. So obviously there's a separation of church and state. You want to kind of keep these things away. Uh, journalists are kind of afraid to talk about these things. But when it comes to spiritual or, or philosophical ideas, and, this is, and what we're really talking about is really a philosophical idea, um, these things take a long time to talk about, you know. And they take, you know, and, and so, so, you know, these shows just don't, a lot of times just don't have the time, yeah. I think, to go on. One thing I find very interesting in, in our own case is that a- after having... Um, uh, and I must say, it was the it was the Orthodox who threw me out of the seminary, not not the Roman. I graduated from two Roman Catholic seminaries, then I went to an Orthodox one, and the other ones who, who had enough of me because of this. <laughs> but the uh, the faculty at Wadhams Hall, my the second seminary I graduated from, uh, was uh, was actually rather um, sympathetic to this, and that that was when I the whole Bridgeport thing of 1974 that had occurred while I was a student there, and that uh, I thought they were rather good. But uh, it's ironic that today, with this show and elsewhere, I've got priests, Roman Catholic and Orthodox, all over us with interest in this subject. Have you noticed any kind of lightening up from those early days when it comes to these things uh, among the clergy uh, or among the the people you deal with in the church? Yeah, a little bit. You know, the thing is, after all these experiences, I ended up running into people who actually knew about these things. Um, So they are out there. I think, you know... Church is not going through progressive time. Um, I don't think religion is going through progressive time because I think in many ways religion in all forms is under attack, you know, um, and, and, is, and is under criticism. Organized religion, yeah. Sure, organized religion. Yeah. So, so when, you, when you're under attack, you're not out there, you know, exploring new ideas. What you do is you kind of hunker down because, you know, they're hurling arrows at you. Yeah. You're not out of exploring as much. So I think right now we're going through a very conservative time, you know. In yeah, that's religion. true. Uh, we're in the 60s and 70s. You know, you had a little bit more. Well, let's take a look. Let's explore a little bit. And then sometimes that turned into abuses throughout all religions, uh, organized religions. Mm. And um, so I feel like right now, maybe not so much. Um, there are definitely people out there. You know, the problem is that, you know, the church has to deal, or any organized religion has to deal with so many different things. People getting married, people dying, people having, you know, psychological problems, losing their jobs. So when it comes to things like this, which which in many ways are they're, they're, maybe they're so important, but they kind of get left out in the cold. Yeah. Um, it's really, I think again, it comes back to that TV show mentality. You only have forty minutes, and if you you know to tell your story, or if you're a church with only two priests who have to administer to five thousand people, oh, yeah. where do you get the time to actually exactly you know, yeah. kind of do this? So you know, as much as I think the church could do more. You know, to um, talk about these things, and to not hide, 
come out and explore and have a conversation. Don't be so judgmental. About yeah, exactly. Them. Yeah. At the same time, I feel like, wow, you know, these guys don't really have time to have dinner or to eat lunch. You know, um, that that there are other things that they're dealing with. And so, I guess if there were more people in, in the churches doing things, um, maybe we could have a little bit more dialogue. But right now, you know, I just don't see that happening. Well, it was intriguing for me to find out here uh, in the Blackstone Valley there is uh, an Orthodox church, and, and, and they're, they're, they usually have 100, 150 families tops, so they're lucky that way, pastorally speaking. But uh, there's a church locally that's been that's had a seminar on the paranormal. A lot of people came, and uh, who else uh, turned up? But one of the the fellows who used to work with Ed and Lorraine Warren, who were very prominent. Uh, sort of grandfather of mo- and mo- grandmother of modern ghost hunting. I worked with them in the early 70s. And he had become an Orthodox priest, and he was now lecturing on this subject at this seminar. So, I was, so they, they've, they've at least come a long way, even if the Romans haven't. Uh, and, but the Romans have come a long way, too. Um, I, there's one really last question that I had for you here, Gary. Uh, have, and we always ask everyone this because uh, we find that things are connected, as you know. Have you ever had... Other paranormal experiences, such as UFOs, uh, anything of that kind uh, in your life that you can recall? Yeah, not, that I, not, not UFOs. You know, it's been, it's been experience happen. I, I feel like I am sensitive to certain things that I've mm. never been sensitive before. Now, I can't tell you if there's a man or a woman in a room or something like that, but there have been times where I experience the same sensation. It doesn't hit, and it doesn't happen often. But there was a time when I was at a seminary when I experienced that sensation. There's another time a few people have asked me to come to their houses, you know, just to see if there's anything there. And I'm like, and I just kind of do it to do it. Um, most of the time I don't feel anything. But the last time I went, I felt that experience, mm-hmm. you know, that I had felt. So the uh, so nothing more than that. And in and, and the experiences I had when I was growing up, the one thing that made me, you know, actually after kind of, you're doing some of the research. Actually, after the book was written, you know, I was very fortunate enough to get Whitley Strieber to to read the book, and, and, and he, he gave me a really nice endorsement. And it made oh, that's me go cool. back and, and read Communion. Yeah. And then it really, that, like, all of a sudden, you know, and that led me to Jacques Vallée, and, you know, and then you start seeing, wow, you know, people are having ghostly experiences, and it mirrors in many ways people who have had alien experiences. And then you start looking at this, and then you start reading in folklore about how the fairy experience is just as similar as the ghost experience. Yeah, that's right. The alien experience. Yeah, yeah. We've done so, whole shows on that. Yeah, and there was, you know, and there's a part in the book where there was, when I was a kid, I used to get suffer from sleep paralysis or old hag syndrome. And uh, not that I would ever say that there was an alien, but having read, having read Communion, you know, in light of having read my book, there is an incident where Whitley describes something very similar to something I experienced as a child, which is this kind of being with, you know, huge eyes, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's on top of you, mm-hmm. and uh, you're struggling. So, you know, I'm not saying that's an alien, but there was that experience, and, and so that intrigued me so much. So now I'm kind of doing interdisciplinary, you know, what you call comparative religion. I think we should, you know, do it. We should have we should run courses on comparative paranormal experiences. <laughs> very true, very uh, very good. Yeah. As a yeah. Well, we always find the same thing. I mean, we we apply certain terms to these phenomena. We got into this last night on CBS. We were talking about 
uh, you know, aliens versus ghosts, and you know, which is which. And some uh, there was someone who wrote in who said that she was an investigator in New York City on an amateur basis and had encountered a classic ghost situation. The guy claimed to be a relative of the family, and she started to apply our methods. And she didn't quite feel right about it, about this entity, what it said it was, questioned it, and the thing immediately turned into something else, turned into into what appeared to be an alien. So, I mean, this is really the kind of thing you run into. You know, we don't trust these things, you know. And uh, that essentially is the message of the church, I think, too, was that don't trust, right, First John, you know, don't don't believe every spirit, you know. Right. And And, I think, um, I mean, Right, I think you make a very good point, and that's essentially why the church tells you, you know, you don't know whether a spirit is good or bad because you just don't know. So stay away from it because essentially you, you never know, you know, if uh, Lucifer is going to come. He's not going to come as a bad guy. He's going to come as a good guy. Try to gain, gain yeah, wolf in sheep's clothing. Well, you know, exactly. it's a, there is a lot of wisdom behind that. So. Well, I, we've dissected your book. It's only fair I, since you've read one of mine. I, I the, the one before that is, is really the, the real popular one, Footsteps in the Attic. But Turning Home is um, kind of controversial. People didn't expect it. Uh, so you want to take a few shots at me? Go ahead. If there's anything in that book that you... <laughs> no, no. I was really, the, uh, you know, I was, you know, I'd heard you, um, and, and I wish I actually had known about your book when I was doing my own research, but maybe in some ways it was a good thing I did the, uh, but I was listening to Coast to Coast, I think, last year, and I heard, you know, I heard you on, and I went, oh, my God, this guy had a similar experience, so I you know, sought out some of your books. And, and what I really liked about um, Footsteps was that you, you really took, you know, you jumped on the idea of, of paranormal experience and spirituality and, and, and bringing these things together. And, you know, for thousands of years, we had supernatural experiences. And then in the 20th century or late 19th, 20th century, we have paranormal experiences. It's essentially the same thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, but it's our interpretation of things, and, and paranormal experience really kind of a secular way of saying, you know, supernatural. And and in some ways, it takes the spirit out of of of, of, of these experiences. But I really liked your questioning. You know, I liked hearing about your history, and I felt like, wow, you know, we're sympathetic because you know you had these, you were a seminarian and experienced mm. having those amazing experiences in the woods. You know, the book opens up with it. Um, I'm going to screw up the name, Baca. You know, Bara Hack, as, as yeah, the historian Bar- told us it was called, in and, Welsh. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I really, I, I thought it was, I had a fascinating time reading it. it, was, it well, very good. Well, thank you. Okay, well, let's, uh, what else are you working on? What's your next project? Well, you know, I was working on something, whether or not it turns into a book project, that I'm not sure if it has the legs, but um, something called Naming the Demon. And Naming the Demon is, uh, you know, one of the first things in exorcism that you do is you try to get a demon to name itself because when you get that demon to name itself, you're going to have control over it. And again, it comes back to the power of words. And kind of the similarities between, you know, self-help and, and, and exorcism and, and, and other, you know, spiritual exercises that happen. You know, the first step in the 12-step program is, you know, you basically have to name yourself and name your disease. So I am Gary and I'm an alcoholic, you know. What are you doing? You're naming the demon that's inside you. Um, yeah, it's very true. And exorcism, mm-hmm. you know, the same thing. You're trying to name the demon so that you can have control over it. And we put names on things. Why? Actually, to control them. Think about how someone has the upper hand if you don't know their name um, and they know yours. You know, so um, this whole idea of naming things, the power of names, is something that's fascinating to me. And this, and the, You're absolutely right. Power of words. 
the power of words in general. You know, there is no less true statement than sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That is such baloney. <laughs> words, words are like bombs. Exactly. They have tremendous power. Look at the, the F word. People use it, 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 it is so full of hate and destructiveness. Because of what it carries with, it's just you know I, I cringe when I hear people using words in a frivolous manner. Any words, you know, and maybe, maybe that's my years as an editor because after they tossed me the heck out of the seminary, I ended up in journalism. But um, anyway, I, I, we're pretty much out of time here. But Gary, it's it's been a fascinating conversation. You're a delightful guest, and the book is wonderful. And again, uh, we just uh, tell people where you can get it. Sure. Um, so it's uh, called Holy Ghost, or How a Not-So-Good Catholic Boy Became a Believer in Things That Go Bump in the Night, and it's at Amazon and Barnes Noble, and um, you can check out my website at GaryJansen.com. I'm on Twitter and Facebook, so look me up. Well done. Okay, well, thank you, sir. We will be in touch off the air, and uh, we we'll hope to talk to you again soon. Okay, thanks, Paul. Have a good one. Have a good one. Bye-bye now. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, I think we have time for... We have about... Four and a half minutes, four okay, minutes. Okay, maybe one. Oh, yeah, there's an announcement here. This is from, and we're going to do this on CBS next uh, Sunday as well because I'll make sure everybody hears it. But this is David Marsh. Uh, David is from Portage, Indiana, and David is one of our show wait, reporters. Wait, wait, one, one quick question. Yeah. You know the, the useful name thing? Is that always set to no? Yes. Did, why didn't you explain that? Oh, I'm sorry. You're always chiding me. I mean, oh. oh, no, people can set it to yes. But they usually don't. Anyway, Dave, well, David is a well-known show reporter. He's not going to object to our using his, his name. Okay, it's okay, Ben. I'll give you some ice cream later. Just, uh. All right. Okay, well, anyway, this is uh, from our show last night. We had a, an, a, an email that I mentioned to Gary in our interview, and this had to do with a, uh, a case in apparently the New York City area where a, a ghost was denied, uh, the, 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 the investigator denied that it believed what the ghost was saying. If it was a ghost. And, okay. Uh, anyway, go ahead, Ben. So, in response to the last email, I would like you to extend, or I would like to extend an invitation to the audience to email me with ghost stories for my research, as we discuss, um, or uh, yeah, as we discussed, I am working on investigating parasites using fears of aliens or aliens using fears of ghosts. Okay. So, um. Should probably just uh, give his email here. So David at yeah, behindtheparanormal.com. Yeah, that's it. So yeah, all our reporters have just their first names and at behindtheparanormal.com. Says so David at behindtheparanormal.com. And if you could copy us on those, we'd be interested in those too. Paul at behindtheparanormal.com or uh, Ben at behindtheparanormal.com. And these are this has been coming up a lot lately uh, because we always question what these things really are, and when you do that. You know, you just don't assume that the thing is what it says it is, or if you know, you just you don't trust it and you test it, and you often come up with some pretty remarkable results when you do that. And one of them is that these things seem to, um, at times, turn into what what we would describe generally as aliens, or vice versa. So this is what we're talking about. So let David know if you have any cases like that. Uh, and us too. That would be very interesting to find out uh, what's going on out there, as far as that's concerned. Uh, here, I think we better... Yeah, we have two minutes. Yeah, all right. We're done. Okay. Well, again, many thanks to our guest, Gary Jansen. Very interesting conversation. 
And uh, let's see, we want to thank our marvelous producer, Steve Bianchi, and we'll see you next Monday, April 25th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, right here on WOON, 1240 a.m. at com. We're in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley, and check us out, especially if you're stuck in traffic in Boston or Providence and you want to have an interesting <laughs> evening of it. Ben and I will take um, the hour next week to discuss a subject that might follow well from tonight's show, the subject, What is Heaven? Okay, so in the meantime, tune into our Sunday evening CBS Radio Edition in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, and online at www.newskyradio.com. On April 24th, my dad and I will have an open line show to deal with our ever-growing pile of emails. Mm-hmm. It just never seems to go away. So, and remember, you can always get free podcasts of all shows, along with show schedules and guest information at www.behindtheparanormal.com. Well, we don't want the emails to go away. We have a lot of very thinking and intelligent listeners, and we are very gratified. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.